From New Dog Media and Phoenix Fifth, it's the Settle Smarter Podcast. Grace comes from allowing yourself to try something, not expect that it's going to solve every problem. And if it goes well, keep doing it. And if it doesn't, that's okay to not really be so hard on ourselves because we didn't come up with the answer. If you ever feel like a hamster inside of a wheel running a sprint inside of a marathon while balancing on top of a teeter-totter, this podcast is for you. Welcome to Settle Smarter with me, Dana Look Arimoto. Welcome back, guests. It is the Settle Smarter Podcast, and I'm your host, Dana Look Arimoto. Today's special guest is Alyssa Westering. She is an author. She is a work-life insider. She is a professor in Chicago at DePaul. She has a lot to unpack today, so hang on to your hats, and if you're sitting in your chair, then sit down, and if you're standing up, then let's get going, because today's guest has so much to share with us about Parents Who Lead, the name of her co-authored book, and also her journey as a work-life insider. And we want to hear all about that. Welcome, Melissa. Thank you so much. It's a pleasure to be with you here. Glad to have you. So what does it mean to be a work-life insider? So basically it means that I've been researching and studying this stuff for almost half my life now, actually. And I see it from the academic perspective. I've read the articles, I've done the research, so I understand it conceptually from that side, but then I'm also living it. So, you know, they say people study what they want to fix about themselves. So I'm actually in the thick of both the research side as well as raising an eight and a 10 year old myself. It's interesting. We talked about parallels in the pre-show. And as I was reading Alyssa's book, listeners, I have to tell you, I've taken copious notes. And I said to Alyssa, I feel a little bit like I'm back in school in Madison, which was 100 years ago, because I've been highlighting and dog-earing and just noting the intersections of our work and our beliefs. And whether you're coming at this academically from a research perspective and or from a in-life perspective, more an and than an or, what I've noted is that you really are practicing and preaching and teaching and leading by example inside your life, especially right now, of course, because we're confined at home, and you're teaching it out in the world to students. Can you tell us about that parallel? It's so interesting. Yeah, it's it, it's, it's really interesting right now because conceptually, I should have this down, right? I should be able to figure out how to homeschool my kids and do my job and support my family and do chores, right? Like if anybody was going to have the skill set, it would be me, presumably. And it's still hard. Of course, it's still hard, right? There's just because you know it on a logical level doesn't mean that it's always easy to implement. Um, So I've been trying to give myself some grace and, and, you know, allow myself to screw up just like anybody else would. But there is a sense of guilt maybe that I should be able to figure this out. Like I just missed, my son had a Zoom science class and I got the time wrong. And it's like, I just like, how can I not be able to manage this? Why is this beyond me? And I think it's, it's just hard times. I love how honest and open and clear you are. It's all about being authentic. And throughout this book, this beautiful book, and I really recommend our listeners 
check it out. Parents who lead leadership approach you need to parent with purpose, fuel your career and create a richer life. There's so many nuggets in here. And that might be an overused term in the coaching world. We say things like nuggets and unpack. Uh, But I really do believe, and as a coach, what we find is that we teach what we most need to learn. And Mm -hmm. that's a way of feeding back to you what I heard you say. So because it's about being real and authentic and having grace, I want to pick up on your word. What would you tell the listeners that are struggling right now, whether when you're hearing this, we've come out of COVID or at least partially or not, what would you tell them about giving themselves grace inside of their four major domains of lives? Yeah, I think that And I talk to a lot of overachievers and perfectionists, probably as you do if you're working with CEOs and and high-level executives. And we're used to this idea that if I just work hard and I'm a smart person, I will just magically figure all this stuff out. I'll find the solution, the the single right answer to this puzzle. And the, the truth is that it's really an ongoing process of making small changes, which we try to really emphasize in the book, but that grace comes from allowing yourself to try something, not expect that it's going to solve every problem, see how it goes. And if it goes well, keep doing it. And if it doesn't, that's okay to not really be so hard on ourselves because we didn't come up with the answer. So, you know, it's, it's allowing ourselves that freedom to try new things because if we don't, we'll never do anything right? We'll just throw our hands up and not do anything. And so many of the professionals that we worked with when we were writing the book, you know, the, those type A people that I mentioned, they said, well, if, since I can't quit my job and I can't, you know, or I can't hire a full-time nanny, if I can't do everything, then I'm going to do nothing, right? And that's not giving themselves any grace either. This is so profound. So in the world of settling smarter, because everyone's already smart, I want to give us all credit. We're just human doing our thing. We can always be smarter and we want to be smarter. And that's part of the mission of the podcast is to really think about what are the ways I make conscious voluntary trade-offs versus the involuntary and unconscious ones. And in the chapter three, that's called Embrace the Four-Way View, which by the way, I, I went a little wild with, because again, it was so clear to me that we get each other. And we've never met, by the way, listeners, we've never met. This is our first time chatting. And I already feel so connected to you. I know. It's it's so, it is. It's so lovely that there's so much humanity right now. On my last podcast uh, with the guest producer, Paul, actually, we talked about how we're seeing the best of humanity and unfortunately also the worst of humanity and not a whole lot in between. So you actually in this chapter talk about um, that we tend to adopt a trade-off mindset, thinking that there's a uh, the different facets of our lives, community, well-being, career, family that you talk about, and that we assume that you know playing a zero-sum game is the only way to get there. Is that what you're talking about?
So I want to echo what she just said about multiple domains and the trade-off mentality. Listen, if you're playing Texas Hold'em, go for your all-in or all-or-nothing mentality. There's no such thing really as always or never. And that's how the Stop Settling and Settle Smarter Mission and the book that I wrote was born out of the experience myself as a type A overachiever, workaholic, mm-hmm. single mom for 11 years, now remarried, second and final. Go, Darren, if you're listening. <laughs> We cannot really sustain an always or never way of operating, in particular across these life complex facets or domains. So how do you teach that academically and how do you actually live that outside of academia? I know that's a really loaded question, but if you wouldn't mind, because I would like to learn from you. Sure. So I... From an academic perspective, you know, we can look at research and including the research that I've done with Stu Friedman, where we're actually asking people, how much time and energy are you spending in each domain? What's your performance like? How happy are you? And we can show people the data that says it's possible to increase our performance and satisfaction in more than one area at once. So that's the first thing we say, we've got data from hundreds of people who are really similar to you, and it's possible. So believing it's possible is the first step. But then we really, you know, we talked about this idea of you have to make the unconscious conscious. So how do you get a sense of how you're currently spending your time and energy? And even with my undergraduate students, I ask them to take one day of their life and track it in 30-minute increments. Not just what are you doing Like, okay, they say that they're studying, but really they're on their phones, right? So what are you really doing? And where's your attention really going? And then you can start to look at, okay, here's the reality of my situation. And from there, they can make changes. And that that applies to, to anybody, right? And you can do that, not just I'm at work or I'm with my kids, obviously in Corona times, we're um, probably multitasking even more than usual, but we take stock of the present and then you can start to say, is there a creative way to get a win-win? Um, I know that when this all started, we, I was feeling, I'm much less anxious now than I was because I, I was very anxious about the idea of feeling trapped in my home. For some reason, that was just really scary to me. And I, I was like, what can I do to take my attention away from my fears and put them towards my attention towards something that matters? Also, my kids are bored. They had been on spring break. They didn't even have online school yet. And uh, I want to help people, but I'm not really sure how. So I came up with the idea of getting a foster dog, right, to keep for a few weeks. And I could worry about potty training instead of worrying about you know, the pandemic and my kids would learn some responsibility. And I had this great idea that it could be a win across multiple parts of my life. The reality was it was so much work and it added just another layer of stress. And I quickly learned that maybe fostering dogs isn't the right solution for right now. Like, why did I add on another level of work? And the kids were getting nipped by the dog, so they weren't thrilled about it either. But the idea was I was just looking Right. And I just sort of say, what creatively is possible here? And can I try it? And fortunately, fostering is not a very long commitment. Um, so we were able to say, okay, we tried that. Not going to do that again for the time being. Uh, so it's just, it's just that willingness to try things out and to be constantly looking around. So this is an amazing time for our listeners to take 
professor's challenge here, which is what she said to you is find the wind that threads across. We talk about intersections, integration. My big claim to fame is harmony beats balance every time. I don't believe Mm work-life balance is real. It's a myth. So what is your win? I know producer Paul's listening and he's going to thread in some great music so people can have 30 seconds to really think for the next 30 seconds. What is the win you thread across your family, your career, your own well-being, your community, and and I also like to add in friendship. For some reason, I like to make a fifth dimension. So that's mm-hmm. how I roll. So for 30 seconds, Paul's going to be playing some music and he will edit this beautifully for us. So go, Paul, go. And we're going to give every listener a chance to thread through their win, their four-way win. Now, let's talk about something that you said earlier and then I read in your book, which is about, you say, losing ourselves, for example, in the multi-complex faceted life of being a parent, as one example, inside Mm -hmm. the four domains, and that we can lose ourselves and that it's also an opportunity on the other side of that coin to be more fully alive. Would you talk about that? It's so beautiful. Oh, thank you. Um, I think it related a lot to my fears about becoming a parent. And the reason I went into studying this field, I started thinking about work-life balance long before I ever had children. I was actually in college when I decided that this is what I wanted to study and this is why I wanted to go to grad school. So I spent a lot of time anticipating what it would be like to be a working parent. And I knew that both of those parts of my life were incredibly important to me. So the fear of losing yourself, right, losing your identity, um, I think is something that, that we all worry about. And it's really easy. Um, I was, you know, looking at some of the questions you sent me, and one of the myths that I told myself was that to be a good parent, my kids should have my attention whenever they need it. Because parenting is so important to me that I should prioritize that. And conceptually, I still do prioritize it, but that doesn't mean that if they, giving you an example from 20 minutes ago, want my attention to help them put together Legos while I'm trying to write an article, it doesn't mean in that moment that I have to stop and do that. Um, So really trying to say you can have values that you live across all the domains, but that you know in any given moment, you can still prioritize different parts of your life And I'm lucky because being a working parent who studies working parents, I get to talk about my whole life and it's all one big thing, right? I don't really have clear lines drawn between the different parts of my life. A lot of people do, right? They make really clear definitions between the different parts. And now is the first time during coronavirus where maybe their kids make an appearance in a Zoom call or... You know, they have to miss something because work comes up. So, you know, we're all trying to navigate our identities. And to the extent that you can live your values in all parts of life, you being a parent and having these different things makes you more who you are, ideally, not less. 
Oh, Alyssa. <laughs> we have so much in common. I wish we could have hours to talk. I know. So, I want to feedback something that she just said. I want to make sure you've all heard this really critical point, which is you don't have to do everything that you think that you should in any given moment. If I'm clarifying what you said, and this is what we call shooting ourselves to death. And we do this as parents Mm -hmm. and we do this even as friends. We do this as lovers. We do this in every context of life. And it's these shoulds that really kind of mess with our minds. I have the word should in quotes written down right in my notes because I think it's the internal monologue of the overachieving modern woman and probably some men too. But I, it's just in there constantly, constantly, constantly is should, should, should. And then for me, I've just, I haven't gotten rid of it. I've just gotten much better at challenging it. So I still hear the shoulds, like I should exercise for 30 minutes every day. And then I can be like, well, maybe one day going for a walk is, you know, what is better. Right. So, but I haven't gotten rid of them. I'm just getting skilled at questioning them. And I think that that's sort of, um, Another myth is that people assume that in order to find more fulfillment and happiness, they have to just completely drown out that inner monologue as opposed to realize it's there and then work around it or work with it. I want to actually read something from the book. And for all of you that are interested in reading Parents Who Lead, it's not only about parenting, let me just say. Mm-hmm. And let me remind all of you listeners, if you aren't a parent, you may be an aunt, an uncle, a cousin. You may just be a godparent. You also have to remember you were kids. That's what we have all in common universally. We were all kids at one point. I love when I'm keynoting and I say to the audience, who here was once a child? And not all the hands go up. It's oh my favorite moment. So you actually say, try, try, and try again to avoid being defensive or blaming your partner. Do your best to remain open and inquiring. Understand how your partner sees you as well as you possibly can. That is the opposite of should. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's really being open to someone else's perspective and their reality. Um, and I think as many of us transition to remote work and spending a lot more time with our partners than we ever had before, we're creating all of these new habits and assumptions about how things are supposed to go. And uh, it can be tricky, right, to unpack them and say, well, how did it happen that I end up doing all the cleaning, right? Well, how did we get here? Is that what's working for us? Could we change it? And, and I'm saying that because I had that exact conversation. Um, it just sort of defaulted into much more traditional division of labor when we switched to pandemic times. And I was like, wait a second, how'd that happen? It it happened without either of us being conscious of it. So really breaking it down and saying what, what needs to stay, what can change, how can we do this better? And for anyone that is challenged with the role of being the primary homeschooler, provider financially, cleaner, the cook, the baker, the candlestick maker. I mean, anyone that's struggling with this right now or that was struggling with it before pandemic Mm -hmm. times, which is most of us in some way, shape or form, especially women, also some men for sure. I just want to remind you that we are currently work-life integrated at home, whether we like it or not. 
whether we admit it to ourselves or not, and the lines have officially been blurred. So you compartmentalizers out there, this is a bit of a wake-up call for you, isn't it? Yeah, and, and for us, we are actually realizing that maybe we do need to do a little bit more compartmentalization, even just we relocated different computers so that we're not all in the same room at all times. And that's been a huge game changer. And you wouldn't think it would make such a big difference to move a computer desk and computer from one room to another, but it's been incredibly helpful. So being creative, passing the baton, figuring out where your best space is for you to work and also live. Remember, it's an and, not an or. That's how my whole premise began for my book, that there is no such thing as work or life. Mm -hmm. We really must integrate. And so before we wrap, I want to ask you some fact versus fiction questions. These may seem obvious to you, but they may not be to the listeners. And a way to help listeners settle smarter is for guests to react to this. There's no right or wrong. There's only your opinion. And so here we go. Are you ready? I'm ready. Okay. Fact or fiction? Blood is thicker than water. Ooh, I'm going to go fiction on this one. I think, you know, sometimes the families we create can be much stronger and more meaningful than the families that we're born into. And uh, we pick people who match our values and who care about the same things we do. That may not always be the case with our family of origin. Beautiful. And you talk about this in the book as well. Yeah. How about this one? Fact or fiction? Peer pressure is only for teenagers. Ooh, I have to say fiction on that one too, because I feel it. I am on social media and I see other people and how they're living their lives and what their homeschool stations look like and how what they're cooking for dinner every night. And even if they're not you know, personally peer pressuring me, I'm aware of what other people are doing. And I feel the pressure in many cases to keep up with um, everybody else and to, you know, even just what's behind me, the mess behind me that you can see, but the audience can't see, you know, what does it look like around our lives? I I do feel pressure, um, even when I know that that's a should, not a, a want. I feel it too. And social media puts it right there in front of us to look Mm -hmm. at and react to. Here's one more. Your family will respect your honesty if you communicate your passions and guidelines honestly and kindly. I'm going to have to give this like a mixed in between because I think, and I'm saying this both as the researcher side of me and the mom side of me, that it's incredibly important that we tell our children and our partners and the people around us what matters to us. And even then when they respect that on a conceptual level, it doesn't necessarily mean that their behaviors show that respect. So for me, for long before pandemic times, I really tried to communicate to my children, I need time to exercise because it helps me be a better mom. It helps me focus. It makes me feel better. You know, I'm not talking anything about weight or appearance. I'm really talking about my mental health. I've communicated that value in exactly the same way I did in the book. Like exactly what we told people to do, I did it. And then they're still showing up in the home gym and bothering me and saying, why can't you pay attention to me? And are you done yet? And 
So it's right. It's, it's half and half because I did the actions, but that doesn't mean that in every sense people are like, okay, go have your passions. I'm going to respect every second that you want to dedicate towards them. And that doesn't, the reality doesn't work. Um, but I think there's still value in, in saying it. If we practice before we preach and we live and lead by example, people will follow what we do more than we say has been my experience. When it comes to younger kids or your own family, I feel like they are just harder on us than anybody else we experience outside Mm -hmm. of our family unit. Uh, I remember (laughs) having my kids pass a note under the door when I was trying to work from home and doing a webinar, for example. Just pass a note. Don't knock. Don't open the door. And this is pre-video, by the way. Right. Y'all, that just tells you how old I am. And sometimes it worked and sometimes it didn't. But you know what? At least we tried. Yeah. I um, I was wrapping up one of the drafts of the book and trying to finish it before we left for a vacation. I was just like, I just have to send this one thing. And my daughter said to me, you're writing about working parents, so stop working and be a parent. And I was like, ooh, boy, she got me, right? They can be so incredibly insightful and really harsh too. Yes. I, I always talk about Kim Scott's book, Radical Candor. So kids, you are radically candid. And all of you leaders out there, I'm not just talking about title, but people that really want to lead and be in the driver's seat of their life. Remember, mm-hmm. being really direct and really honest and kind and compassionate will go a long way. It certainly won't get you all the way there, if I'm summarizing what we hear you saying. Yep. Do you want to share a favorite quote in ending today's amazing show? So the quote is from James Baldwin, who's a civil rights activist. Not everything that is faced can be changed, but nothing can be changed until it is faced. If that isn't somebody teaching us how to settle smarter and how to lead with authenticity. I have never heard a quote that really sums it up better than that. So we want to thank you for being on our show today. We love your work. We'd love to hear more from you in a later date so that we can continue to learn how to integrate across the four domains you highlight in your amazing work. And we thank you so very much. Please stay safe and stay well. Thank you. Settle Smarter is produced by New Dog Media in association with Phoenix Fifth, who are solely responsible for the content. Check the show notes for links to our website, settlesmarter.com, to find Dana Look Aramoto's latest book, take the quiz, read more about today's guest, and to contact us with your response to the show or any questions or comments. And don't forget to subscribe to the Settle Smarter podcast and share the episode. Settle Smarter was recorded and edited by Paul Godwin, who also composed our theme music. Settle Smarter can be heard at Apple, Google, Spotify, and wherever you hear your podcasts. On behalf of Dana Look Arimoto and the whole Settle Smarter team, this is Paul Godwin saying, see you next time.